All right, Justin, I want you to sing me a song that when you hear it, you get emotional feels. Hmm. Do I have a song like that? <laughs> well, I hope you do, because if you don't, you lose. Man, I honestly don't have a song that, like, get, makes me, like, like all sentimental or, like, sad or... I don't know if I have a song that does that to me. I have songs that pick me up, uh, that make me go, you know, yeah, or get me hype or excite me but i don't really have one that like makes me go oh man this is oh man just oh well justin uh, it sounds like you're taking a loss then yeah you got me and that's not even really a hard one but i just don't think i have one and that's fine i don't know if i have one either but that's what i chose <laughs> so there you go heather damn it what about you oh boy oh boy oh boy um Sentimental. Oh boy. I really am struggling on this one. I'm trying to even think of songs like in the past that I'm like, man, that song really got me. <laughs> um, man, I'm, I'm struggling on this one. Um, nope. I got nothing. <laughs> we are just a bunch of non sentimental people. I really thought you would because according to your own self, everything makes you cry. <laughs> it's true. But. It's one of those where, like, I don't know, it would have to be in a specific moment. It's not like I hear a song and it makes me cry or something every time. It's like it depends on, like, what's going on, what my situation is, that I might be like, that song just really got me because of how I feel right now. So it's like a circumstantial type of thing, you know? I mean, an easy cop-out, guys, would have been that song, what, In the Arms of an Angel by Sarah McLaughlin that they play with those ASPCA commercials. <laughs> You could have just said yeah. that. You're right. I could have said that. Mm. I almost yeah, said like, the one from Star is Born because just because it makes me think of like their love story. But it doesn't really make you sentimental. It's just a good song. So, yeah, it's like even when I, I mean, there are songs like that that I like, but I'm always just like, oh, man, it was that that was just a very good song, man. That was very poignant. You know, that was very nice. The, the the singers, the artists, it was great. But I don't think I've ever been like sitting there and the song kind of made me I, I I don't I don't I really don't think I have that. You know, I like songs, some of those songs like that, but they don't yeah. I'm I'm really trying to think and I'm like, man, I think it's more like what you said, Heather. It's gotta be it would have to be the right situation. I, I would have had to have gone through something that that's and that singer is um just relating to Speaking me somehow to it. yeah yeah, yeah. It, I, it would just have to be the, the right situation i think i'm not saying i'm just like i got feelings of steel and i don't feel anything but that's not that's not i don't want that to be misconstrued but yeah i think you're right it's, it's got to be the right time the right song the right situation Oh man, you guys just never, never went through a breakup and just binge listen to some fucking Kelly. Come on, guys, get with it. <laughs> hey, mean, you I'm, didn't have one either. I didn't say I would. If, if anybody shouldn't in this podcast, it's me. But I guess on that note, we'll just move on with our very emotional theme song. 
Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight we are doing a movie off of my essentials list with the movie Princess and the Frog. We will talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with that movie. We will go non-spoilish first, then we will move into our recommendations and scores, and then go into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to let you know when that will happen. Also, a little audio warning from me saying spoilers. So, on that note, let's go spoiler-free thoughts, and we'll start with the Tin Man himself, Jastin. What are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on Princess and the Frog? The Tin Man. All right. So, yeah, this is my th- this would probably be make maybe the third time I've seen the movie. I've seen it two other saw it when it first came out and then um I've seen it one other time before we decided to watch it again um tonight. And th- this one uh this Disney animated film always kind of, at least for me, it, it'll always have some significance to me. Um, of, of course, there's like the more obvious surface things, like as far as just, you know, this was the first um, Disney film to have to star a black pr- Disney princess. And that's significant and um forward thinking and, and 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 especially progressive for what we had gotten from Disney up until that time. So, I don't want to downplay the significance of that, but it, but but or in any way, but I don't want to overplay it either. I mean, th- that is very significant. That is one of the things that kind of makes this movie stand out when you're looking at the lineup of all of these Disney movies. But also to me, what stands out about this movie is that it just uh, is just that the messages, I think, were just very progressive and a little more mature for its time. Uh, and and I think that for that, I will always put it like if I was ever doing a top 10 list, I mean, I, I have my favorites that I just think are untouchable, but this is one of those that would be in there. Like if, if I did a top 10, my favorite Disney movies, I don't know if I put it top five, but it would definitely make my top 10. It, it's, it's in there. It's, it's forward thinking enough. And I think progressive enough. And it's also the, the precursor to some other movies that, that Disney does that were big successes later. And I'll get into kind of my thought process on that here in, in when we do the spoilers and everything. But like, I think that's what I took away from this movie the most. It's just some of the ideas that it presents, the, the, just the whole, the message behind you can wish yes, you can wish for things and you have these things that you want and you can dream and hope for things, but there's still work that has to be done to earn those things. There's still merit in earning the things that, uh, that you dream of or want and things like that. And then the whole concept of wanting things and, not losing sight of what the things that you actually need, the the things that are really going to enrich your life. You know, it has all of these messages in there. And I think that that's very forward thinking and very progressive, especially given what we had gotten from 
uh, Disney at the time. Uh, and then there are other things in it that are really are just classic Disney. You know, you've got your funny comedy relief side characters. You've got, um, you, you, you know, a plot where, you know, and, and, and some of these things we've seen two characters that don't that maybe start off not liking each other but you know by the stories in we come to realize things about each other you know all of these things that these tropes and things that we've seen before we we've seen them before but what this does is it but this is one of those disney movies that does the little things right and i think that's ultimately what separates the good ones from the bad ones to the great ones um this looks phenomenal. I, I think that might be the strongest thing about this movie, other than just the messages, because they are strong. But God, this movie looks great. Like even watching it now, uh, the the New Orleans setting in the 1920s. So you've got all of these just colorful backdrops and uh all of these just vibrant colors and there's Mardi Gras stuff in here. And there's the, the, there's all kinds of mentions of new Orleans food and cuisines. And there's, you know, and, and, and the characters, their voices, you know, everybody sounds like they're from that area. So there was a real, there's a real authenticity to this. You know, it feels like it's from there. It feels like it's out of there. The jazz music, which I'm a fan of jazz music. So I was all for some of these musical numbers and things like that. I really think that that also just enriched the the visuals and the storytelling and everything that you're seeing um in these characters. Uh, so yeah, even by today's standards, I really think that this still looks great. And if I'm not mistaken, Disney had kind of taken a break. Like they hadn't done the hand drawn old school Disney style. They had kind of taken a break from that at this time. I know that there, that a few movies came out for them that where they had kind of gone away from this art style for a, a while. And then, cause this movie was released in 2009. So before that, there was a period where there were these Disney movies coming out, but these hand-drawn animated features, they had kind of gone away from that. So not only was it nice to get this and all the other things that it comes with the black princess, first black princess and the themes and everything like that. But I just remember being in the theater and just being happy that it looked like old school Disney, that hand drawn style. There's just something about that, man. There's just something about the magic that they bring when the animation is like that. And yeah, I like frozen. I like some of these other uh, more modern features that we have now. They're, they're, some of those are great, but there's something about this art style, man. There's just something about this. And maybe that's the, the nostalgia man and me talking, but 
there's just something about this visually that just does it for me. I love this style. This is my favorite style of animation when the characters look like this. The big eyes and just the... all of the mannerisms and features that they do. And, you know, Dis- the Disney animated hand drawn, there's a certain style and a certain way that the characters move and react to each other and stuff. There, there are certain things that they do in all of their animated movies. Um, and that's the style that I like. I gravitate to that. I, that just makes me feel warm inside. So, yeah, man, uh, this is definitely an enjoyable film, man. It was one that I was happy to revisit. Um, Before Heather goes, I'll just I want to comment on one thing you said, Justin. Uh, When Princess and the Frog came out in 2009, it was the first hand drawn Disney movie since Big Brother in 2003 or Brother Bear. I'm sorry, Brother Bear in 2003. Okay, see, six years. So, yeah, I knew there was a big gap. So, yeah, six years. For a long time, they were doing one a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every once in a while, you had like a one or two year difference in something, you know, but for a very long time, they were doing one a year. I mean, so I'm going back 1988. Let's see, 1988 until 1993 they had done one a year and that's uh between aladdin and lion king was a two-year gap and then once again from lion king it went all the way to 2000 with lion king to emperor's new groove with one a year and then it was a two-year gap until lilo and stitch and then the next year brother bear came out so we hadn't had that long of a gap with hand-drawn animation for a very long time I mean, early, early in Disney's stuff, it was like three years between some. Uh, You had four years between Lady and the Tramp and Sleeping Beauty. But pretty much from when Disney really kind of started doing these animated features, you had them at least every four years. Yeah, going all the way back to 1938 with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Four years was the largest gap. All the way till 2003 without a hand-drawn, like, um, actual main release. We're not even talking about their video shit. We're talking about theater releases. Four years was the biggest gap. And that's why that just felt so significant to me at the time, because, yeah, you know, when you grow up and your childhood is chalked full of these films, and then, you know, and then you're just you. So you get used to it. You we got used to that. You know, you were used to it uh, every now and then you, that Disney movie just comes out and you were used to getting it consistently. But that was kind of a long gap, man. So I just remember being excited for this because when I saw the previews and saw how it looked, I was like, oh, man, they're going back to that. And, you know, I, immediately I was going to go see it. Like, I, I just saw how it looked that I, I was in, that they had me just at how it looked. So, uh, yeah, man, the, that gap was significant. I definitely felt it at that time in 2009. And now, yeah, that really puts it into perspective. I didn't realize it was that long, six years. Wow. Yeah. Now it's been 11. Yeah. So that was like, we've had one, uh, animated movie in the last 17 years and this was it. Yeah. But all right, Heather, your I just wanted to comment on that. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah. So for me, I do come a little bit from a different perspective in the sense of 
as I've said a lot of times on here before, I don't really seek out watching animated films all that often. Um, it's not that I dislike them. I'm just never specifically like, I want to watch an animated film. So um, this was only the second time I had ever seen this movie, Princess and the Frog. And um, I, I think the first time I watched it was maybe a couple of years ago, either last year or the year before that. And I, I got to say, though, I'm really glad that I did watch it. I'm, I'm really glad because it they, they just I feel like the way that they tell this entire story, they just do it right at every turn. Um, you just you have I mean, and it's Disney. And so they're you know, they're pretty well versed at this point in, you know, the points you hit in a story and when you need to hit them and things like that. Not that they're always perfect and they always do everything perfectly, but you know, they were so seasoned in it. I feel like this time around, they really, it just, everything felt very, um, just very well paced, but also like the moments when you needed it to be fun and lighthearted and just like a happy, happy movie. It was the moments when you needed to learn that lesson or you feel that, that sense of sadness in certain moments, like you feel it. And it just, the, they just did, they hit all the beats right. And I think that there's just something very relatable about, um, Tiana in this and just in general, like some of the characters and where they're coming from, they feel like more like real people that you would actually know. And I, I really appreciated that, especially in today's age with working women and um just kind of women having that more more of an independence of like no i i don't want this life that <laughs> disney especially kind of tells women that they need to have where it's the fairy tale and the you know you, you got to be a princess and you got to be proper and you got to have that perfect guy she was like i don't have time for that like i have goals i have dreams and that's what i want to do and I loved that. I thought that was really great. I think it's super relatable to this day and age. And I just think that, you know, it was one of those where, you know, she's not looking for love necessarily, but you never know what's going to happen type of thing. And I just really think that they they played that really well. And um, I just really love Tiana's character in this because she is like this independent, strong you know, she's got goals and dreams, but she knows that to reach them, she's got to work for it. And she has no problem doing that. She doesn't want everything handed to her, you know, and I loved that. I thought that was a really great type of character to write. And yeah, so I, I'm just really glad that I watched this movie and it probably, I mean, I will say it's probably in recent memory, probably one of my favorite Disney movies right now that I can think of. So it's, it was really good. It was super fun and entertaining. The music is amazing. The liveliness of, you know, everything that's going on. It's so great and really, really a fun and enjoyable watch and just a really good story. So yeah, I really liked it. So, I mean, it, for me, it's safe to say that this is my favorite of the uh, Disney hand-drawn animation films. In a lot of ways, I think you could say this is my favorite of Disney animated films in general. I think when you're including in like Pixar and stuff like that, there are very few things out there that from Disney or something like that that really 
like captured something like this movie did that I enjoyed on a in a, in a complete way. There's always some, you know, some trade-offs here and there. You know, you'll accept this, but, you know, well, I didn't like this part of it, though, or this. And, you know, you've got those trade-offs where you liked enough of it that it made up for the things you didn't like. And to me, personally, for this movie, I don't really have those in this movie. Uh, like Jason was t- talking about, like, and, and Heather brought up, too, like, I love the jazz in this. And I, and I am also a fan of jazz. But I'm a fan of this style of jazz. I'm not a fan of that big band style of jazz. I'm not a fan of your Buddy Riches and your Gene Krupa big band things. I I very much like that dirty, like, jazz quartets, you know? Just having a few people in, in a dingy-ass fucking bar playing some jazz. Fucking and they're just feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same way I like my blues. I like my blues the same way. Uh, I actually am more accepting of bigger band blues bands than I am bigger band jazz bands. Uh, Like when you get into something like your blues brothers or something like that, those big ensemble bands and stuff like that. But it's the, the reason why they have so many people is they're encompassing typically just a huge range of musical styles that you need that many people. But I do prefer though that dirty backroom blues. Like I said in the Queen and Slim uh, episode, there's not a trope type scene I love more in a movie than a bunch of people in a dirty ass smoke filled bar dancing to some grimy ass blues. <laughs> God, I love it. But that's the style of jazz I like too. I like that more New Orleans jazz. Like Justin said, they're just in room feeling it. They're just playing some shit and they're all just so fucking good. It works. That's what I love. And this has more of that feeling to it. Uh, and then as we've talked about before in some episodes and stuff like that, I very much have a soft spot for for things of a voodooistic nature in stuff. When it's done more right. Uh, and a lot about this, it kind of is. Especially when they're getting into the aspects of there's a price to pay. And it's a literal price. Not necessarily monetarily a price but there's a price and either you have to pay it or something has to pay it, but there has to be a price. It's not just, you do a spell and it works. You do a spell. Something is paid. And I love that aspect of this. Like that's what really makes the aspects with the villain in this really kind of click. Um, and I'll, I'll get more into it. Uh, breaking down some of that stuff in the spoiler section so I can get a little bit more specific with some stuff. But I just wanted to bring up the fact that that aspect of it, I really appreciate it. That's another thing that like, it's that slight attention to detail that I like that this movie brings with it. Uh, but nothing in this movie is better at all than the storyline with Ray and Evangeline. The storyline of Ray and Evangeline in this Aww. movie, which if you've seen this movie... You know, that's not the two main characters at all. You don't meet Ray until yeah. a damn near halfway through this movie. But Ray and Evangeline, that storyline with that is the best storyline in this movie. And I fucking love every second of it. And it's the, it's what actually inspired me to ask Justin uh, for the song idea at the beginning. Because that storyline does hit me right in the feels. And... The funny thing is, is this is probably the movie on my essentials list 
that I've probably seen the least. And it's not because I like it the least. It's because of that. I'm not accustomed to watching movies that make me feel things other than typically anger. So watching a movie like this does take a bigger toll on me because I do feel non-anger emotional things when I watch this. And that takes a lot out of me. So I don't watch this movie as often as I do a lot of the other movies on my list. But I think that that's also one reason why I have to have this on my list is I might not be able to watch it a lot, but when I do watch it, it may have a bigger impact on me than any of the other 19 movies on my essentials list when I watch it. So it definitely has its place on my list for that reason. Um, with uh, some other things, one of my favorite things also in this movie is the animation they do when uh, Tiana is singing to her mom at the side of the restaurant. Yes. Telling her what's going to be when it goes really flat and the entire animation is based on the, uh, the art style from her menu. I love yep. that. Me too. I'm all, and that song that uh, to me, that's, I think that's the best song of the movie that I'm almost there. I, I really like that song too. That, yeah. That's, that's the one that grabbed me in this film. That whole scene, really, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's my favorite song because <laughs> I definitely got that. Um, and it's mainly because it's, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dr. Uh, Facilier, his song uh, with his friends on the other side. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's my favorite. That's tied to. And it's, also, <laughs> it's that's what I was going to go into though, with that too. That's also kind of my favorite art in this. O- outside of that scene, like I said, I like the art shifts in this movie because they allowed themselves to change their artistic style depending on the song they wanted to do. And that was fucking amazing because where they go flat in that one and in this one, they go this really ultra bright, very reminiscent of that Louisiana voodoo culture with those neon colors and that supernatural glow to things. I love it. And they do it a couple of times in this movie. It's fucking amazing. But yeah, I like those shifts with it. And I mean, they just do a really good job of and it. Maybe it is just stereotypical or just that idea of what New Orleans is. Maybe they're just hitting on the stereotype of it all. But they really make you fucking feel like it's in New Orleans. Like yeah. whether or not it is just the glorified Hollywood version of New Orleans, whatever version of New Orleans it is, it makes you feel that way. I mean, maybe I wouldn't feel that way if I lived in Louisiana. Like if I was in New Orleans, maybe I wouldn't feel that way. But considering I don't and I didn't, I don't know. That's just the the impression I get of what New Orleans is based on movies and TV shows. And I haven't heard anybody from New Orleans really talk about how that's wrong. So I'm just going to say it's right and accurate. And I loved it. And I mean, I just I like some of the jokes they have, you know, talking about how when they're in the swamp and this. I mean, this isn't a spoiler. It is specific, but not a spoiler. One of my favorite jokes in this movie is when Naveen is talking to Ray when they first meet Ray, and they talk about how they're from a land far, far away. And he goes, oh, you're from Shreveport, which is just like the other <laughs> side of New Orleans, or I mean, the other side yeah. of Louisiana. And I just love the fact that it's like, to him, that's the other side of the world. Like, that is an eternity away. And I love that. I just love that aspect of it. Uh, you know, because geographical jokes are awesome. But, 
I mean, that's just, this movie has a profound impact on me. And I will, I'll go more into that later too, because I do have to get into spoilers to really talk about that. I just wanted that to be said though. Um, and also one of the last things I'll talk about is the fact that, uh, just like Heather said with Tiana, I loved the fact that she was the one that was kind of different than all the other Disney princesses, which just her personality of you have to work for it. You have to be this, you have to be that like the idea of just essentially being a princess to her was the most mind boggling idea ever. Yeah. And I just really, like, I don't want that. that life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, she was the idea of you work for everything you get. And I think that's one of my favorite things about this movie too, is this movie really is about bridging that gap of, working so hard to get what you want but then the laissez-faire style of living that the prince had of of you have to strike that balance you can't work that hard for everything because then you will miss out on living life but then there's the vice versa of you can't just you know sit around and let life pass you by because you're just too busy not giving a fuck about doing anything you have to make like you have to stake your claim you have to do something you know, so I liked that balance that this movie was kind of about that, like, ultimately, you know, they both had to meet in the middle. And like, that's the more ideal way to be is like, yes, you do need to work hard and you need to have those goals and you need to strive for those things. But at the same time, you can't be so focused that the little things on life are passing you by. And in the end, what kind of life are you living if all it was was just your goal? Yeah. Because you might not realize you might want other things in your life. You might have other goals in your life if you allowed the other experiences in your life to happen. Because you you don't know what you miss, you know? Like, Tiana just hated the idea of dancing. She's like, I can't dance. I don't know how to dance. It's dancing, you know, just, she wouldn't dance. And then she did dance. And then later in the movie, she just dances by herself, you know, while singing. She dances because that's what she feels not really realizing that the only reason why she quote unquote couldn't dance was just because she just never did it. Never tried, never wanted to never gave it a chance. And I love that. I have never been so happy watching a little frog dance <laughs> as I was with this movie. Um, all right, let's go ahead and move on so we can get into more spoilerific stuff. Uh, recommendations and scores. Heather, go. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. I would say outside of Emperor's New Groove, which happens to be like one of my favorite um, Disney animated films, this is probably also up there with that. So, yeah, I just it's just the idea of it and the relatableness to some of these characters and just how they are written very differently than they would have been, you know, years ago. I, I just I love that um, that change that adding that modern flair to it and making making the main um, female just a lot more like a modern day person, you know, uh, just a lot more relatable. And I love that. And it's fun and it's funny and it's just one of those very feel good movies that makes you feel a bunch of different things. And it's it's just really enjoyable. Like I I definitely do say it's it's a must watch. I think so. I'm gonna give it. Um, I'm gonna give it hmm, ninety 
sequences of of uh oh what is her name tiana <laughs> uh dreaming about how her restaurant is going to be out of a hundred justin what about you yes i can definitely recommend the film especially if this is one that of the disney in the disney collection that you just somehow missed or maybe you didn't get to see this one somehow this one got by you uh i definitely would recommend it um Especially because I think, especially watching it today, because really, when you think about its release in 2009, and then you think about just some of the sentiment of the country right now, man, I kind of wish things were different and something like this was released today under better circumstances. I mean, obviously, with COVID and everything, not everybody's going to be flocking to the theater, but maybe if we didn't have that but we still had some of the sentiments that we have right now about female empowerment, representation, different things like that. Man, this movie would have just been right on time. Um, and, uh, and that's unfortunate because unfortunately, part of this movie's legacy is that it underperformed in a way at the box office and then it was kind of then frozen came i want to say uh after this and made like a billion dollars and kind of like revitalized that and you know that aspect of disney animation i mean of course pixar um was always just kind of in the driver's seat, but still frozen kind of came along and it was like oh man you know it kind of woke up this sort of aspect of the animation department at Disney. Um, so unfortunately, part of its legacy is that. But man, I do feel that, like I said, this is a top 10 Disney movie for me. Despite all of those things, it's just very, very, I think it was ahead of its time. You know, like like you guys said, you had a princess, you had a, a, a princess in this who started off and she, uh, 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 this person, Tiana, didn't want it to be anything but that. And she was driven and she was determined. And it was like the furthest thing from her mind was being a princess. And we hadn't had a character like this. You know, there was no female character for the animated Disney that was quite like this. I mean, maybe the closest thing maybe was Belle. Belle was a little independent. Belle was a little odd in Beauty and the Beast, but she wasn't this, though. She wasn't motivated, had these goals, and was like, nope, this is what I'm doing. I'm working hard. You got to earn your stuff. This is what I'm going after. I mean, Tiana's very strong, and I think that that set a precedent for Frozen and a lot of the other stronger females that would come from Disney's side. Now, D Tiana kind of started that, you know, that she did that first, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, and like I said, just some of the progressive ideas here and given the importance of re representation and everything, this is really ahead of its time. So I bet anything, even though it came out in 2009, if you watch it now, you probably appreciate it more now, given it, given yeah. today's climate, uh, than you would have then, you know, and that's unfortunate. So, you know, I wish there was a way it could have just, if things were different, man, this should have just come out at this time with, 
this mentality that we have right now and that's unfortunate so i don't know maybe in a way this is kind of like the sega company like this was like sega man when they came out with all this new great stuff but it was too ahead of its time and now they're a third-party video game company and i feel like that's what happened to this man all these ideas all these progressive thoughts this strong female character that's motivated and determined it's great man but maybe it was too ahead of its time to really catch on at that time. But man, do I appreciate it now. So, yeah, you, you got to watch this just to be a part of that conversation, just to understand what we're talking about and why that's so significant. And I bet right off the bat when you will watch this and you'll feel like it's a movie from, from today. You won't it won't even feel like it was from 2009. It'll feel like th this probably came out a few months ago. And that's how ahead of its time that it was. So, yeah, watch this. It, it, it's it's not only want to consider one of their classics, but it's it, it's um it's it was a trendsetter, man. And it deserves to be on that top list of Disney animated films. Uh, with that being said, we're going to go. um we're going to go 90, um, 90 little stars holding, they're not really hands, holding <laughs> edges together as they find love in the sky out of 100. All right, Justin, that's just a fucking cheap shot. You can't bring up what I talked about having emotional like poignancy <laughs> on me, like in your score. Like, damn, bro. How dare you? Hey, man, I was on a roll, man. I, I was on a roll, dude. I had to end that with something nice, man. Something I reflective. Mean, yeah, it's still, damn, dude. I just watched this not that long ago, like earlier today. Wounds are still fresh, bro. That's all I'm saying. Um, no, for a lot of the reasons why you said I, I do love this movie. I do recommend this movie, obviously. I'm saying it's one of the 20 movies that are essential to me. So, yes, obviously, I recommend this movie wholeheartedly. And, and with that though, it's a lot of what you guys have already said, but it's just one of those movies that I think for me, I think the funny thing is, is that early two thousands Disney and Pixar, I'm not really that into Heather mentioned Emperor's new groove. And I'm sorry, I don't, I don't really like it. I, I'm not a huge Lilo and stitch fan. I'm not really a huge, like finding Nemo fan. I'm not a huge monsters Inc fan. That era of Disney is one of the ones I'm like, or even uh, Brother Bear. I'm not a huge fan of all those movies. And I should be a fan of Brother Bear. It's got a fucking bear in it. I should love it, but I don't. And like, so that era of Disney is when I kind of lost my way when it came to animated Disney in general. But this movie is what brought me back in, like to it all. Uh, I do want to correct you a little bit, Justin. It wasn't really Frozen that broke this like broke the hand, uh, the animated movie. It was tangled that came out the year after this, that really did that change first, because while tangled didn't make frozen money, tangled still made a ton of money. And it came oh, out did in 2010. It? Okay. Yes. Tangled, okay. Tangled I, I remember it doing good, but I didn't yes. know it did like, well, it, okay. It, it did good enough that that's why Disney kind of shifted to that style mainly. And Okay. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. And especially now, Tangled is in a way a weird like cult classic with Disney. Like, I didn't end up seeing Tangled in theaters, but it's like years later, everybody's still talking about Tangled and shit. So, like, Tangled had some 
really crazy lasting power. Uh, but I'm also kind of with you with this, that it's really sad that this movie didn't do as well in the box office because like for a long time outside of you and me, I didn't know anybody that had seen princess and the frog at theaters. Yeah. And I really was working hard on a lot of people. Like when they were talking about movies and stuff like that, like to watch princess and the frog and everybody's like, Oh, well, it's just one of those old Disney movies. And I'm like, no, but it's not fucking watch it. Like, it's just for whatever reason you had to like convince people to go watch it. And I never understood why. Like, yes, it's a recycled fairy tale idea. Just like every other fucking Disney movie ever. Fucking go watch it. Like, you know, nobody gave a fuck that Cinderella was a ripoff of, I don't know, Cinderella. Like <laughs> nobody gave Cinderella shit for being a fairy tale movie. Like, come on, just cause this is a fairy tale movie. Doesn't mean it's not worth it because it is, it's the most modern of those movies. It's, in fucking New Orleans, it's fucking filled with jazz and, allig- and alligators and fucking fireflies and voodoo and shit. That's fucking relevant ass shit. Like, that's new. Like, that is way closer to us than anything that ever took place in a fucking castle. And just people, I don't know what it was. Maybe their marketing campaign in 2009 just sucked. I don't know. But, like, people just were not interested in even giving this movie a chance. And maybe part of it was because it had been six years since Disney had done anything like this. They were mainly doing Pixar shit, you know? So, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but people just didn't watch it. I know it has gained traction since then. It has become more popular since then. I think streaming services and things like that had help in that. I mean, this was on Netflix for a while and stuff like that. I think that that did help it. And just like all Disney movies, you always want to end up buying something for your kids that's new and it's Disney. And then your kids end up watching it 27,000 times a day. Right. So I think it ended up having more power, but it just like Justin had mentioned, it was not popular when it came out. And I've never understood why. I think I saw this movie either the first or second weekend it came out. And even in the theater, when I went and saw it, there wasn't that many people in there. There's like, eight of us and i've just i don't know never understood it because this has been a favorite of mine since i first saw it it's i mean i was borderline seriously borderline the closest i've probably ever been in a movie to legitimately having tears come down my cheeks they didn't they stayed up in my eyeballs because they know that's where the fuck they belong (laughs) but it was close and i love this movie that's what that's what coco did to me that's why we're watching that but yeah, I get you, man. I get it. And I believe when I came out of Princess and the Frog watching it, I remember going, man, dude, that was good, man. This is a return to form. I remember telling people that. So yeah, it's just mind boggling that nobody saw this. But anyway, sorry. Did you two watch it together? No. Okay. No. No. But this movie, though, I agree. It was like it was a return to form, but at the same time, it wasn't old hat. Like, it wasn't just same old Disney. Yeah. It was a return to form, but modernized, more relevant, yeah. just more in tune with what animated movies should be going toward, like changes in animation style. Like, before something like this, the idea of a hand-drawn animated movie changing animation styles, not even once, but a couple of times in a movie would never happen because they had to fucking draw it. And nobody wants to change their fucking style in the middle of drawing a billion fucking scenes for a movie. (laughs) Like, it's just, yeah, I don't know. But I love this movie. 
wholeheartedly recommend it. I will give this movie 99. Fuck it. I'm giving this movie 100 beignets out of 100. Because Justin essentially took what I was going to give for a score. Because he's a dick. (laughs) Wow, 100. That is some high praise. I do. I absolutely love this movie. I really do. I was actually hesitant to put it on my list originally because, like I said, I don't watch it a lot. And that's one of my kind of key criteria to, like, how much I love a movie is how much I watch it. And like I said, of all the movies on my list, this is the movie I've watched the least. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, but why I don't watch it, I think, makes it have a place. Yeah, I would agree with that when you explain your reason for it. So... That's why I will give this, yeah, that score. Uh, so spoilers? Let's do it. Yeah. All right, with the Justin grunt. Um, it's my movie. I'm going. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> yeah, that Ray and Evangeline storyline in this movie. Holy fuck. Does it get me every damn time I watch this fucking movie? Every time. Without fail. Uh-huh. Like, this little fucking firefly. This little should be nothing character. He is just literally the definition of a side character. He is not present in most of this movie. And he comes in and he talks about Evangeline and everybody's like, oh, that's sweet. He loves this little other Firefly girl. And then you find out it's the fucking North Star is who he's in love with. And, you know, Prince Naveen's about to spoil it for him. And they're like, dude, shut the fuck up. Let this little fly love his star. And then, you know, because Tiana gets her heart broken, she's like, fuck you, Ray. It's a star. You dumb shit. And he's like, man, don't listen to her. She's just heartbroken. She don't even know what she's saying. This motherfucker does not give up (laughs) on the idea of being in love with the fucking star. And... (laughs) He believes it so fucking much and he believes in true love so fucking much because of it that he dies for it. And that fucking wrecks me every fucking time. And where it really pushes it over the edge is it goes through all this bullshit and he does die. And then they give him a funeral. They give this little fucking firefly a funeral. (laughs) You're like angry that you're so emotional about it. It does. It, (laughs) oh, and then Disney pulls that fucking Disney magic at the end. And this is what really just pushes it over the edge for me is the fact that like he, like he's dead. Yes. But then they give him the funeral and they talk about like, well, now he'll be with his Evangeline. And then the clouds clear away from the North star and you see another little bright star now next to the North star, like Jasmine was saying, where they're like touching star edges more or less symbolizing that now that he's dead, he is with his Evangeline now. And that fucking kills me. Dear God. Every time, (laughs) every fucking time I see this, I start getting choked up and I'm like, you fucking son of a bitch. Firefly. You have no right to come into my fucking life and make me feel things that nothing else does in this fucking world. You fucking Cajun son of a bitch. It was it was a well played little side story. It was good. And it and, and you're right, Heather. It pisses me off 
how much that shit affects me. You're so mad about it. It doesn't. You could have done that same scene with humans and I would not have cared. But because it is this fucking Louisiana swamp fuck firefly and a goddamn star that he legitimately has never met because it's a fucking star in outer space and he is a firefly but he is just in love with it fuck this shit god it wrecks me (laughs) oh yeah it is yeah i i could see it because it's yeah it's got it's got layers to it full deep that that storyline and it's just like the shit whenever he says like i said when tiana tells him off and all that other shit and he's like Man, don't listen to her, Evangeline. You know, she's just saying that because she's heartbroken. Like, you son of a bitch. He just fully believes in it, no matter what. And then he's just like out there like, man, I'm doing this shit for true love. Attacking a fucking voodoo priest. He's a fucking firefly. He don't even have a stinger. He don't got teeth. He he doesn't have little pincers. He can do no damage other than just kind of maybe flying into an eyeball and annoying somebody. That's all he can really do. I mean, I take that back. He flew into a guy's nose earlier in the movie, and that's fucking great. But, I mean, he can't do shit other than annoy somebody. But, man, he does his little firefly damnedest to save (laughs) Tiana and Naveen because he believes in their love. Because he believes in his love so much. And if anybody shouldn't believe in their love that much, it's the fucking firefly who's in love with the goddamn North Star. (laughs) Just so angry still. It is. I'm getting fucking flustered because of it. it. Drives me nuts. It's why <laughs> this I don't watch like, this movie. It's why I don't watch it. This is along the lines of like how you felt so weird talking about the um, beautiful day in the neighborhood movie. <laughs> You're just like, yeah. I feel like I need to like wash all the niceness off of me after this. Because he's so goddamn wholesome. This firefly is literally the firefly equivalent of fucking Mister Rogers. Because he just believes in love so goddamn much. <laughs> Fuck you, Firefly. God. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> Woo saw. <laughs> um, I mean, so with this too. <sighs> anyway. Uh, so what, some of the other things I do like about this is this is all, also one of the first times that you really have. You really actually have any of the main characters also sacrifice really anything for love. Most of the other times in these movies when somebody is willing to sacrifice something for love, everything's then magically fixed and they don't have to sacrifice anything. Kind of like with Belle being with a beast and stuff like that, or, you know, Jasmine wanting to be with uh, Aladdin, you know, but they couldn't because he wasn't a prince and all this other shit. There's all these little things like that, you know, where they're willing to sacrifice it to be with the one they love, but then they just don't have to. And the thing I like about this is the fact that both Naveen and Tiana had actually really given up on the idea and they were just going to be frogs. And it wasn't like the day they decided, nope, we're going to be frogs. Bam. They were people. No time had passed. Yeah. The, the legitimate idea that anything could change was well past gone in their minds and then you know it wasn't and then they became humans again and you're i know what you're thinking sterling but then ultimately did no 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 because like if you look at naveen 
he actually did give up more or less being a prince still to be with Tiana. Yeah. And I appreciated that, that one of them still kind of more or less kept their sacrifice in there. Granted, Tiana did get what she wanted, but it was kind of that twofold things because she wasn't the same Tiana whilst getting her restaurant still her. She knew at that point, her restaurant wasn't the most important thing that she would have at that time. Yeah. So I liked that change with this too. Um, and I'll just talk about uh, the shadow man for a little bit. Dr. Facilier. I'm trying to say it with that nice, you know, French New Orleans accent thing. And I know I fuck it up, but I don't care. Uh, like with him, I really, like I was saying earlier, I love that they played on the idea of sacrifices, you know, with the whole transformation thing, even for the assistant to become the prince, there was the sacrifice of blood that was in that. And the idea of the continued to the continued need to continue to pay that sacrifice for it to work, you know, it's that continued cost. And then when, when the shadow man needed more, when he needed help finding him, he had to make more of a deal because he promised these more or less these shadow creatures, these demons. And it, it's not an exact thing. They're not actually demons in voodoo, but still he promised these people, uh, more, uh, more influence like he knew he had that debt to them just for the idea of they would to, to get their help and knowing that if he failed it was going to be his life because that was the cost that was the deal if you're not giving them more lives it's your life if you don't want it to be your life you give them in return and that very much is a big a big idea in voodoo Nothing's free at all. Nothing. Even the little things, none of it's free. It costs you something and how big of a thing you want. The price is going to be reciprocated. And if not, probably worse, you know, if you want all the money in the world and you want all this power and all this other stuff, it's going to cost you more than you could probably ever give. And in return, that means then it's going to take you because that debt will need to be paid. And one of the things I also loved about him is very much his imagery and a lot of the stuff he does and has about him is very much uh, of my favorite of the Laos of, of, of voodoo when it comes to uh, Baron Samidi with the top hat and the, the swaggerness to him. Now, if anybody knows, like we have talked about before with Baron Samidi, uh, he is the, the Lao of, of drinking and smoking and dirty jokes. I just love that it's dirty jokes. Uh, and he's very much, he's the digger of graves. If he digs a grave for you, you're dead. But he can also heal you. He can also uh, bring you back to life. But there's a cost to it. And you more or less have to present him with a deal. If he accepts it, then he helps. He is the kind of the voodoo equivalent of the devil if in a lot of ways. Just because of, of the, the, the sin and the vice he does represent. But he is also fair. And it is one of those things that... If you give him a, a deal that he likes, he'll take it. You know, if you have something like a, a a cancer or a disease and you want to be cured of it, you can go to him and you can pay the price. It's just sometimes, like I said, whether or not you are able to pay enough to make it interesting for him to actually do it. And it's just very much the imagery with, with the Shadow Man and him. It very much lines up the top hat, the skull paint on the face at one point. 
a lot of that ties directly into him. And I think that that's one reason why I also gravitate towards him with that stuff. And I just like how they didn't, they also take your traditional whilst also not necessarily accurate, but the traditional voodoo aesthetic with a lot of these things, when you do get the voodoo dolls and you do get those neon lights and you get the idea of, of a shadow man in general, uh, does play into more voodoo culture stuff and things like that. I do like, I do like that his shadow is its own character in this. I lost something like a Peter Pan where one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when Naveen and his like servant walk into his voodoo emporium and the shadow is the one that takes off their hats and they're just like looking around like what? Cause they just see a shadow. And then at one point the, yeah. the servant is trying to back away from a uh, facilier and he, the shadow gets behind him and bends over. So he trips over him, you know, I like that you see those aspects of it all, that the, the the shadow is very much its own thing. And I love that, especially a lot of the imagery you get with that. And like I said, while not always completely accurate to voodoo and voodoo culture, it's, it is playing on a lot more of the imagery that is just known for it. And maybe it isn't necessarily known through it through Hollywood. But at the same time, this isn't kind of directly... Uh, like negative with it because then you also do get to see like some of the good aspects of voodoo and stuff like that with the fortune telling and stuff um with uh what's her name the the blind woman in the swamp uh so you do get like that two kind of fold thing uh with it all and it, it, uh mama Odie, that's right and so you get like to see those dual aspects of it to where it isn't always one thing or another. Even the good stuff, while it does have more of a price, it's like a lot smaller of prices because of, you know, it's not asking as much of things. And, you know, in a lot of cases, stuff like that, uh, like when it comes to some of the lore and stuff like that, like Mama, uh, like uh, with her eyes, uh, Mama Odie's eyes, the reason why she's blind now is because of using like that future sight, if you will. You know, when she's like staring to the gumbo, like, that kind of future telling would be kind of why she lost her eyesight. Like that's the sacrifice is the more you use that, the more you lose your eyes. But at the same time, it's still sense of, of a supernatural ability. She didn't really lose her eyesight. Like she did, but she didn't, you know, she is blind, but she can still see type of thing. It's that connection thing. And so I like that duality with it all. I do like that. They showed both aspects of it in, in not just like directly opposing ways. I like the fact that it wasn't like Mama Odie showed up to take him down and all this other stuff. It just showed that people can use that stuff in different ways. You know, she's not greedy like, you know, the Shadow Man is where he's constantly wanting more. So he's constantly sacrificing and owing more. And the more you owe, you get to the point where eventually they're going to collect type of situation. So I liked a lot of that duality with it all. And I mean, I think I'm going to stop there now. I think I have rambled enough and I still, I'm still a little flustered talking about Ray and Evangeline. So I will let it move on. Uh, I guess now it would be Justin's turn again to, I don't know, probably stab me in an open wound and pour some salt on it again. Cause apparently that's what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah, I probably will. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding man. But, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I mean, you said really a lot of things that um, th that honestly I would mirror. 
uh, just to 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 talk about some of the things or maybe just to try to hit some different beats and say some different things. But but yeah, just the 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 dynamic between Naveen and Tiana, I thought was great. Like just the the whole idea of these two completely separate ideas. One guy's over here, you know, you just gotta live life to the fullest and you just gotta uh you know, live carefree and have fun and everything like that. And then you had her. No, it's got to be hard work. It's got to be determination and dedication. And I do like that by the end, it wasn't about one of them being right. The fact is, is that they're both right in a sense. Like you said, there has to be a, a balance with that. And they brought that balance in each other's lives. And, and typically when I see any kind of relationship on screen, though, that's the those are usually the kind of relationships I appreciate seeing on screen where something is learned by both partners. You know, they're, they're, it's not about one being right, but it's about the fact that usually there's a middle point where we can say, okay, we're both right in a sense, but how does that relate to us and how do we make that work? And that's what I appreciated about the end of this movie, because then you, you see that like you were saying, Sterling, they uh, were, they loved each other so much that they had just, you know, if they, if they had to live life as frogs, they were okay with it. And that would mean no restaurant for Tiana. That would mean that the the prince would not, you know, he wouldn't get to see her fulfill that dream or he wouldn't get to do some of the work involved and basically learn how to be more, be more self-sufficient and be uh, more of a worker. You know, that prob- that part probably would have been lost on him. Th- those are some lessons that uh, he may not have learned. Um, I guess that just more or less dependent on their life as frogs. But the way the story is, that's what they were willing to give up, you know. And then when they become humans, you see that they didn't just do a quick cut and suddenly the 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 restaurant is built and she's a princess and everything is all right you know they they, they went through they talked to those uh to the lease people the lease managers they and then you saw them uh, in a montage, putting everything up, doing the paint jobs, making sure everything was built. And finally, she's got her restaurant and he helped with that. And and they all were there. Um, even Louie was there, the alligator, <laughs> uh, playing music and everything. So like. I thought that all of that was just very well done, how they struck that balance and said, look, it was both of their ideologies brought together and finding that balance within each other. That was what they both needed. They needed somebody to complement that side of you that's weak. You know that that you need that someone that not to be um, a helpmate or stand behind you, but. That to me is truly a relationship where people, where the two people are standing beside each other, holding each other up, complementing each other's strengths and weaknesses. And that, so that was good. You know, I think that when you look at all of that, it is one of the better Disney 
relationships. You know, it's one of those better Disney endings where both I think that really does come across uh, at the end. Um, and the only thing I'll say about the or a few things I'll talk about uh, Ray um, and, and that situation. Well, first of all, of when bitch, I first I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, when I first saw the movie, I didn't think that that character was dead. Like, like, like whenever, you know, because this is Disney, you know, this is supposed to be light. So like whenever he got stepped on and everything, I mean, they they did that squish sound. It didn't sound very good, but I figured, oh, you know, he'll be alive or, you know, they'll give him some firefly crutches or something and he'll be, you know, <laughs> hobble flying we'll bring him around. back to life. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, maybe the, the power of love brings him back. You know, there, I just figured it would be something like that because usually that is what you're in for. And I'm not going to lie. When it went to the next scene and, you know, he said his little line about, yeah, you know, he said his little line about love and everything. And he closed his eyes. And then the next scene is a funeral. And I was like, what? He's dead? You know, I was like, oh, man, you know, and I'm not going to lie. That did have that 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 was very moving because and just surprising. So, yeah, that got some that got something out of me, too. I was like, oh, he's dead. And I was surprised. And then when they do the little thing where the star goes up, where his star goes up to the North Star, that was pretty cool. And. To me, what it encapsulated is, is that, you know, um, you know, sometimes the belief in something is even more important than the accomplishing of something. You know, it's just to me, it's just that to me, it just encompasses the importance of belief in something in belief in yourself and belief in what the, the in what you need and the and belief in the things that you love, you know, even if it's something as unattainable as this star in the sky, it's worth it. If there's love in that, you know, if there's love about what you are doing and what you want and who you are, it's worth that belief. It's worth that, you know, even if you have to die for it. So I just thought that that was very meaningful, you know, and then the star makes it up there and everything. And so that was kind of like the the cherry on top. But I just loved that message about the importance of belief, you know, and in this case, it was the belief in love, but just the importance of belief. You know, you got to believe in something. You know, believe it, whether that's yourself, whether that's your relationship, whether that's maybe you believe in yourself to attain a relationship later, whatever that is, it's worth it to have loves in your life. Love is important in its many forms. You know, even if you haven't attained that thing yet or that thing that you are desiring or loving, it's important to have that. It drives us. It gets us from point A to point B. So I just thought that was very cool how they got that in there with, like we all said, 
with just one of your kind of side characters. So, you know, you know, you normally in these things, you're like, does a side character really need to die like this? But they actually pulled that off and a lot and and. Not too many movies do that. Sometimes movies kill characters and you're like, okay, really? Why did that character have to die? And this, they nailed it. So, yeah, I thought that that was just very, um, very meaningful. Um, And then just the last thing I'll say is just like, um, it's just, uh, oh, and even her friend. I I liked that relationship too. What is the name of that? The, The daughter of the... Oh my gosh, what's her name? Charlotte. Um, I even like that dynamic, you know? They they they're they're friends and one is rich and you know, one is rich and privileged and the other one, you know, she's had it harder than Charlotte and everything, but I like that they were still friends. I like that that friendship didn't go away. I like that they were childhood friends, even yeah. though they were completely different situations, but then they grew up and they were still friends. And I like how Charlotte, you know, because this character, this rich, privileged character, you know, there's just a tendency for this character. It, they're, look, look, she's greedy. She wants what she wants. And if she doesn't get it, she's going to be jealous or she's going to try to. And none of that. That happened when she saw that Naveen and Tiana, when she saw that there was a real love there, she got emotional and thought that it was just the best thing that her friend found that. And that was yeah. cool, man. Th- that she was didn't cool try to too. take that from her. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't react angry. She didn't try to take that from her. She wasn't like, oh, I'm jealous now or anything like that. She was cool with that. And, and and she should be because they're they're supposed to be friends. And that's important, too. You know, they're interracial friends. They come from different backgrounds. But she was happy for her friend, you know. So that's another thing in this that 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 maybe gets kind of glossed over or overlooked but it's very progressive and forward thinking you know so yeah i think that's uh all i've got heather what about you yeah i mean i think the running theme is clearly just the power and the importance of love in this movie and Sometimes even in a lot of the relationships, even with like, you know, Charlotte and Tiana and, um, you know, Ray and Evangeline and even Tiana and Naveen, it's it's almost like it's also a, a great story about unconventional love in a way. And I think that that's really great and also important because, again, it's almost like this movie's trying to, in a way not really defy, but it's, it's trying to say that like, Hey, all of these like fairy tale love stories that you have known growing up and believe in, like, it's not always going to be that way, but love is still super important, even if it doesn't come in the way that you want it to or expect it to. And I think that that is a really important message to have. And like, even, um, like, I, I really liked the the aspect of Tiana and Naveen where they were really kind of bringing out um, things in each other that they didn't know they had there. Kind of like what you both kind of touched on a little bit. And it was almost like, I mean, they're, they're completely opposite people personality-wise and then how they grew up and just everything about them is very opposite. But they just 
you know, they, they found each other and they loved each other for those differences. And I think that that's a super important thing because I think that's super common. You know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, for, for people who've ever been in love before, I mean, that's just kind of like, it doesn't matter how similar or not similar you are to that person, you know? And I just think that there's a very significant message there as well. And how it was like, you know, like even the part when, um, Naveen is like, you know, he's learning how to chop up food and, and things like that, where, where it's just like, Oh, I've never even done this before. And like, he says kind of later on when he was about to basically propose to her, you know, and he was just like, you know, you're, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he was just kind of like, you know, you're, you're bringing out a different side of me or like, I feel like I'm becoming a better person because of you or something along those lines. And I think that that's super um, meaningful because, you know, it's, it's just like, that's kind of what love is supposed to be. It's, it's hard. And it's, it's one of those where the other person's going to kind of like push you to be more than just what you are. Like it's going to push you to be more than just complacent. And I think that that was just really cool that they sort of showed that in their relationship. So yeah, I just think that there's so many aspects of different types of ways to love and the importance of love and the power of it in this whole movie in the different relationships. And I, I think it's so great because, yeah, sort of like what you were saying too, Justin, where like if you look, if, if you're watching the movie now, how how super relevant that is of like love needs to be way more important than all these other things going on. And it's really, I mean, yeah. this movie has layers I wasn't even thinking about till we were talking about this on here, you know, but like, it's really a profound movie. So well done Disney for that one. But like, you know, it just, there's so many kind of like life messages and things that really just kind of make you think about, you know, what kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to be somebody who works hard for what I want? And then the reward pays off so much because of how hard I work to get this and things like that. Or, you know, do I want to love so much that I would do anything for love? You know, just all of these things that it just makes you kind of think about, you know, Hey, I kind of want to be like that person. I want to be like that character. And I just think that that's a really cool thing because that's what these kind of movies should be doing, you know? So yeah, that was kind of the only additional thing I wanted to say because I, I pretty much just agree with um, with everything else with it. And this, this is very beautiful. I also really loved the scene where all of the fireflies were like creating this like beautiful scenery for the frogs. I loved that. It was so pretty. But yeah. um, just everything about the scenery and um, how, you know, just all of it. It was very like romantic and it was just beautiful and peaceful and, you know, also very lively in other areas and just everything that they did with the scenery and the, the background and the color choices even, and everything about it was so beautiful and fit so perfectly with what was going on in the movie at the time. And I, I just thought that was really cool too. So yeah, I just, it's so great. This movie is so, so much better than, I would have ever expected it to be going into it. So that's the only other thing I wanted to add. Well, touching on one of the things you said, I, I really kind of appreciated the fact that like Tiana and Naveen didn't like change just for each other. 
it's just the other person kind of just inspired the change it brought it out in them you know like it wasn't that they were changing for the other one to just be what the other person wanted it's just they showed each other essentially what each other's lives was missing you know naveen never understood the idea of having a purpose and having a goal and have something to obtain like something of your own to be proud of and like what it's like to work hard or to just do whatever it takes to actually get something that you want and on the other side of it like tiana just didn't know how to not do that she had no idea what it was like just to live life to dance to sing to you know play a fucking ukulele just because you could like just the idea of doing something in your life that wasn't toward a goal specifically like she had no idea how to even do that like why would anybody do that there's just it like to her that type of stuff was a waste of time and just seeing each other like and, and being around each other like it brought out you know those other aspects in each other like naveen like felt what it was like the the desire to sacrifice to you know obtain a goal in general like the idea that you might need to sacrifice something in your life to obtain a goal is something that he never even thought was possible until her or the idea of just living your life and having fun and just dancing for the sake of fucking dancing she never thought that that was something that you should or like she would ever want to do and so i just love that you know like you said it's they did change but it wasn't be like for each other it was just because of each other and i think that that was like another part of a good message in there with it yeah exactly yeah it was it was more of a like yeah like you inspire me type of love you know like challenging and when i i think i said the word challenging when i was talking about it challenging in a good way challenging to be you know to be like you know, just kind of out of your comfort zone because you don't know what you're going to find when you get out of that comfort zone. And they kind of brought that out in each other. And yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, it's not, it's the idea that, you know, I I never like it when people say, well, you make me a better person. Like it should never be that because then it's like our, the argument becomes if they leave, you're no longer a better person. Right. Or something happens and they're gone or you're not together or you're not around each other. All of a sudden you're not a better person anymore. I like the idea of it being you want you make me want to be a better person. Like, yeah, I have the desire to be a better person, like like to actually take the steps to work on it, to do the work that is necessary to be that better person because of you, because inspiration can stay, you know, like you can be inspired by something that's not there anymore. So I kind of like that idea better than just that traditional you make me a better person. And I think that is what he said too, right? He said, like, I've I've been inspired by you, or he said something to that effect, I think, to her. Yeah. And another kind of uh, layer onto that was just kind of Tiana's um, relationship with her father and that realization that she has when the shadow man is showing her all this stuff and he's try- kind of given her this negative version of her father's life and he's kind of trying to convince her look he never got that thing that he wanted like he never uh you know he he wanted that restaurant so bad and he never got it so don't you want to make these sacrifices don't you want to give up 
uh, the, your this to me and succumb to what I want right now so that you can have this. I mean, what about him? What about him? And what and I think her time with Naveen made her realize in that moment, like this whole time she had this perspective that I'm doing this because this was my father's. It, this was our wish. It was my father's dying wish. He wanted, he wanted this, you know, he wanted this restaurant. And he was, he was, this was something that he really wanted and he never got that. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to fulfill that for him. And I'm going to have this moment. This is my goal. This is my dream. And I loved that when he was showing her those flashbacks uh, with his voodoo, there was this realization that she was like, well, he didn't get what he wanted. He never got to see that restaurant, but he did have what he needed. He had us. He had a family. He had a loving wife. He had a daughter that loved him. He had all that love. That's what he had. You know, that's what kept him going. That part was more important than him getting that restaurant was that he had his family and that that was the most important thing was them it wasn't just that what he was trying to get and I think her time with Naveen made her realize that that what what she developed with him made her realize that's what my father meant about don't miss what's really important. Don't lose sight of what's really important. You know, it, it, it's not all about this restaurant. It's also about the family. So it's okay that, you know, he, he may not have gotten that, but he had us. So, and I think inside of her, that helped her acceptance with his death as well. You know, they didn't have to say that, but it all comes right there in that scene, you know. So there was another layer that this has that a lot of films in this genre don't. So, well, I mean, it was also a very good example of like want versus need. And yeah, it was one of those things that like Tiana wasn't really separating those two at the beginning. She was acting like that restaurant was a need, you know? Yeah. Like I want a Tesla. I don't necessarily need a Tesla. Like, I'm not going to, like, just work around the clock and do nothing with my life and just forget everything but work to save up money to get a Tesla. Like, I'm not going to do that. I don't, you know, that's not, you know, it's not one of those things, like, that is a need, you know. And so I like that idea that it is that want versus need mentality that she was not quite understanding until, like you said, you know, he was trying to show her, look, your dad was just so tired every time he got home. And because of that, he never got his restaurant because he was always working so much because of you. And then she's looking at that going, but yeah, he never showed that because to him, what mattered at that time, he's off of work and now he's with us, is us. That's what mattered in his life. And I just like that it... Like you said, Justin, like that's what kind of awakened that understanding in her of those differences. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. And it was cool. That was just a great reversal because the villains making a great point. And I just love that. She just saw that a completely different way. You know, she just 
but that's Tiana for you. That, that's why she's tight. But that was just a great way to do that kind of reversal and that realization, you know? Yeah, because if that had happened earlier in the movie, she might have gone for it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys have any more thoughts about this movie? Just a great pick, Sterling. Good job. All I have is great oh, picks. It's not my fault. You guys don't agree. Oh, boy. Kroll is still amazing, regardless of what you guys say. <laughs> hey, as far as I'm concerned, this movie and Kroll are on the same list. That's all I'm saying. Deservedly so. <laughs> and I will never apologize for that. Never. So on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook at Cinema Slayers Podcast or Twitter and Instagram at Cinema underscore Slayers. Uh, also, if you can, give us a little five-star review in your preferred listening podcast listening platform. That'd be great. It really helps us out. And because I still haven't seen one from Kurt, you know, considering the last time I said this, which he hadn't heard yet because that one hadn't been released either, but still... Still haven't seen it yet, so fuck you, Kurt. And I mean that with every fiber of my being, for the most part, like every atom in my body just feels, fuck you, Kurt, for not leaving us a five-star review yet. Like, as much as I hated Midsummer is what I feel about Kurt right now for not leaving us a five-star review somewhere. So once again, fuck you, Kurt. <laughs> and remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. When you look to the North Star, think of Ray and his sacrifice. Fuck you, Justin. <laughs> fuck you, just like fuck Kurt. <laughs>